And also one other thing before we get started in God's Word this morning, uh, many of you probably have heard about it, and uh, many of you know a lot of things that are going on with the uh, Smith County school system. And uh, we've been much in prayer about them. And uh, if you know somebody that's, that's going through that, uh, those that are uh, involved in that, I know they're going through a lawsuit right now. We want to spend a lot of time in prayer for them. And uh, I praise God for this school system that told the ACLU, let's go to court. And uh, they're not going to bow down. I pray they don't. I pray they stand strong. And uh, we need more uh, teachers and principals and mayors uh, like they've got going on there at Smith County. So we praise God for them. And uh, before we get into God's Word, I want to spend some time praying for that community, uh, praying for that situation, and then we'll get into God's Word this morning. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you. You are always in control. Lord, you know everything that's going on around us. And right now, we as Christians are suffering some of the greatest persecution that we've seen in this country. And Lord, we know that this is just a minute taste of what many other countries are experiencing. But it's a scary thought that they continue to try to take away our religious freedoms. I thank you for this school system for Smith County. And I pray, Father God, you give those teachers, you give those principals, you give that mayor and all those that are involved in this, you give them strength beyond their strength. You give them wisdom you guide and direct them in everything they say and do. I thank you for these men and women that are standing strong for what they believe in. Father, we know the ACLU has done nothing but tear this country down. They've done absolutely nothing but try to destroy our religious freedoms. And Father, for a few families that are offended, well, Lord, I'm offended by them, but it doesn't matter to them. Doesn't matter to this community. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter to this country, unfortunately. We are more in pursuit of what a few people think than the majority. And Father, how dare we turn our eyes away from you? How dare we turn away? Lord, that's exactly what's happened in our school systems. We kicked you out a long time ago. And then we wonder why we've got problems like guns and disrespect of teachers and all kinds of issues going on in our school system. It's very simple. We cast you out. Lord, when we had you in the school systems, we didn't have this problem. Chewing gum was the worst problem teachers dealt with. Father, we need you back. We need you back not only in our school systems, but in our country. We need you to move in a mighty way. So I want to pray for this community. I want to pray for this school system. God, I pray you give them uh, just unbelievable strength and wisdom and guidance and that you will bless them, Father, that the ACLU will tuck tail and run because they know they cannot rule that community. And Father, I pray that many more communities will stand up against them and say we will not give up our religious freedoms. We have absolutely every right to tell people about Jesus Christ and you cannot take that away from us. So Father, I pray your hand be upon each and every one of them to strengthen them, to watch over them, to guide them, and to bless them. And I pray that we will be celebrating as a church what you do in that community, how you move in a mighty way, and how you won the victory. So Father, pray, I pray for your blessings upon them, that you will touch them in such a mighty, mighty way. And Father, I pray now, as we go into your word, that gives us the strength that we need. That we remember what this season is all about. That we remember who this season is all about. And I pray that you will bless our service. Father, may it inspire each and every one of us today to remember what Christmas is truly all about. Father, bless us and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, if you got your Bibles open up to Luke chapter 2, we're actually going to be in a couple of different places this morning. But I want to simply ask you the question this morning, is there room for Jesus? Is there room for Jesus? Now, I wonder how many of you have, have so enjoyed the Christmas season. Anybody enjoyed the Christmas season so far? Oh, all right. Very, very few of you. Very few of you. That's good. That's good. But you think about it. How many of us have enjoyed the Christmas? Let, let's be honest. It gets, it gets tiring at times. I'm going to tell you one thing that kind of drives me nuts is you go into that store and people are afraid to say Merry Christmas anymore. They have to say Happy Holidays. I'm, I'm, that, that's fine. I, just don't get mad at me if I say Merry Christmas back. If you want to, and that's fine. Everybody else has all their different holidays. Happy Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa. There's all kinds of holidays that go on. But, you know, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Don't tell me that I can't say it. I'm happy with saying Merry Christmas. And what's really cool is there have been some stores I've walked in. I'm shocked they haven't been uh, hurdled by the ACLU and some other things. But I'm just, I love the fact that there's still people out there saying Merry Christmas. I see it in restaurants. I see it in stores. They're not afraid to say it. Why? Because we understand that's what the season is really all about. It's about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I also know, man, I'm going to tell you, Christmas shopping is fun, isn't it? How, how many of you have fought over the nice, the best item that everybody's looking for? Anybody fought over a toy this year? Y'all remember Cabbage Patch Kids, right? Yeah. Y'all remember the wrestling matches going on in stores and Care Bears and all that stuff. I'm going to tell you, it still happens today. People are still fighting over getting those toys because they think that's what's going to make their kids happy. They think it's going to make them excited. And yes, it will, but at what expense are we getting those items? At what expense are we spending our time and effort and making sure that our kids have everything that's on their checklist? Lord knows if we got our kids everything on their list, many of us would be broke or you already are broke, right? I mean, that's the problem. Christmas shopping can go crazy because you got to buy a gift for this person and this person. And don't forget second cousins coming to the family reunion for Christmas and they're expecting a gift. And oh, don't forget Brother Joe, you know, he's, we got to make sure we get him a gift and all these other people. And so you go out there and you're buying gifts for everybody because you think somebody's going to buy you a gift and you don't want to be the one that doesn't have a gift for everybody that buys you a gift because then you got to go out and you got to say, oh yeah, I have your gift. I just left it at home. You know what I'm talking about. Christmas shopping can be tough. But man, the hustle and bustle out there is tough too. I wonder how many of you stole a parking space this year. Yeah, a whole, a whole lot of grumbling going on there. I can be honest with you, when I was a kid, I did it one time. I did it for a good reason though, all right? We were singing at the mall that day. And that lady didn't need that parking space as quickly as I did. So I took it. And uh, I was just sitting there praying as I was walking in the mall going, God, don't let her come to where we're singing. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, you know, that's the thing. The hustle and bustle of Christmas sometimes can just get you. In fact, you can become an Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. You just get so drained because we make Christmas so much more than what it really is. And, man, when you forget what the real purpose and real reason of Christmas is, it will lose, you will lose sight. You will miss out on what God is desiring to do in your lives. And boy, we just, we blow Christmas some years, don't we? But today I want to ask you, is there room for Jesus? Well, we're going to look at three questions about, is there room for Jesus at Christmas? Number one, I want to ask the question, was there room for Jesus in Bethlehem? Look at Luke 2, verses 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she, would, she should be delivered. 
And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Is there room for Jesus in Bethlehem? It's interesting when we think about this story, we fail to realize the whole purpose and why God was driving them to Bethlehem. You see, there was a census that was being taken place. And that's why when the census was taking place, most of the rooms were filled. All the inns were filled. Not only that, but family that was there probably had their house to full capacity. And so when Mary and Joseph get there, there's just no room. They can't find a place. It's always interesting when we tell the story, we sometimes embellish stories, don't we? In fact, I have found that the Christmas story has been embellished in a lot of ways. But I want to take a look at some of the significance behind this story. The first thing I want to look at is his attire. It says, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, let's be honest. This Christmas season, isn't it amazing our Christmas pictures? Don't they all have to be so pretty? How many of you took a Christmas picture? How many of you fought with your family while you took that Christmas picture? I mean, you think about it. We're getting our kids to try to straighten up, smile right, look at the camera, do this, do that. And by the time we finish taking the picture that's for the card, the family doesn't look anything like that. You know, they're all mad at each other. But we got to look the best. I remember, you know, my wife pretty much had to ban me from Babies R Us when our daughter was born. You know, y'all remember Babies R Us? Toys R Us for babies, right? And it had all these clothes in there. And I would go in, and here's the thing. My daughter didn't need any more clothes. Her grandmother had bought everything in the store, it seemed like. But I would go in there, and I'd see a hat. And I would think, well, my daughter's got to have that hat. Well, she's got to have the hat. She's got to have the outfit to go with it. She's got to have the outfit to go with it. She's got to have the shoes to go with it, too. We've got to complete the whole outfit, you know. And I would go in there, and I would blow some money on outfits and bring it home. And she might wear it one time. You know, we just wanted her to look good. We wanted her to look pretty. And so we would focus on doing those things. And a lot of times we think about attire makes somebody. But you think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus was born and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Basically, it was simply rags that they could find and they wrapped him up. They didn't have the newest outfit. They didn't have the Oshkosh bigosh. They just simply had swaddling clothes that they wrapped him in. They bundled him up. When we think about the clothes that our Savior was wearing, it was nothing special. It wasn't something that a king should have been born into. He should have had all kinds of rich apparel, purple clothing, but all he had was simple rags. Not only that, but look at his bed. It says, and they laid him in a manger. You know the word manger simply means a feeding trough. I found it funny one time I told somebody, I said, Jesus, his bed was simply a pig trough. That's not true. How else do you interpret a feeding trough? They said, well, it was a cattle trough. (laughs) Okay. Cows, pigs, whatever. Animals ate out of it. And they said, well, there's a difference. Cows eat hay and pigs eat slop. Can I just tell you this? Does it matter? The fact is it wasn't a bed. It was simply a feeding trough that animals ate out of. It was not a bed fit for a king. It was something simple. Now, I'll be honest with you, man. We, we go out there and we spend crazy amount of money on cribs today, don't we? We got to have the newest crib that has the little pedal where you push it down and it slides down. You pick the baby up with ease. It's got to have the right mobile. And then it's also got to have the right blanket. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough. Now, you would say to yourself, why? Why did he go through all of this? Why did he go through such humble beginnings? Because he came to be a humble servant to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He would be celebrated as a king later. He was willing to be humbled and go through such 
unimaginary instances for a king. But we also see his roof. Isn't it funny because every, everybody wants to add this part in the Christmas story, right? He was born in a stable. Do you know the word stable is not in the Bible? But wait a minute. All of our Christmas stories tell us that, right? He was born in a stable. He was born in an outhouse. We get that simply because where else would a manger be, right? But most of the time, a lot of those places where animals were kept were actually in caves, Could you imagine? Now, we don't want to think about that because, let's be honest, then that means our whole manger scene has to change. I know I've just blown you. I've already been told that there's been one family here that their daughters, as soon as I talked about that on a Sunday night, went and hid the wise men. They're gone. I said, well, I'm glad somebody was listening that night. But you think about it. Well, I mean, what our manger scenes look like they're supposed to. They're, but the stable just looks so pretty. Isn't it amazing how we will doll up the stable? And we'll doll up the manger and we'll try to look, at, look, make it look nicer than it really was. Why? Because nobody wants to see the truth of where our Savior was a lot of times. What's interesting is Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? You ever thought about that? Bethlehem is one of these little towns that, that really there was nothing to it. In fact, if you were to go to Bethlehem today and you were to go in there and look at that city, you would think to yourself, wow, this is, this is really nothing. It really is. It's, it's not a beautiful town. It's not a beautiful place. It's not some place that a lot of people would expect, especially the Messiah, to come from. But God had proclaimed it so many, many years ago. In fact, in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, it says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of these shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Bethlehem. Why? Because God prophesied he would come from the city of David. Why was Joseph headed in that direction? He was headed in that direction because of the census that was being taken. And he had to be in Bethlehem. That's where his family was from. That's where the census had to be taken. Isn't it amazing that God used a census and used the signs and used the prophecy to bring him where he needed to be so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem? It's amazing when you think about how God brought all of these things together. What about his guests? You ever thought about that? Who was there? The animals? Well, we say animals. Why? Because it was a feeding trough. Well, what kind of animals? Well, you probably got cattle, camels, sheep in your manger scene, don't you? But how do we know what kind of animals were there? Some people assume that because the shepherds came, and yes, the shepherds were there. As you read the story a little bit longer on into Luke, the shepherds came, but that doesn't necessarily mean they brought their sheep. Because the Bible says they had to come in haste. They went immediately. That means they probably could not have driven their sheep or carried them with them. So why do we always have sheep at a manger scene? We just assume certain things in the story. What the significance is isn't whether the animals were there, but the fact that the shepherds were. The shepherds were an important part of it. You say, why? Because they were the lowest of the low at that time, and that's who would celebrate the birth of a king. They were nobody. Isn't it amazing that God loves nobodies? I'm one of them. I'm fine with that. I'm nothing special. And I'm fine to admit that. Why? Because that's exactly who showed up at the birth of the Savior. I would have been happy to have been a shepherd just to be there for that moment. Just to have the angels come down and declare his birth. What an amazing thought. 
But when you come right down to it, the question is, was there room for him at Bethlehem? For the majority, the answer is no. There was no room for him in Bethlehem. But yet one person found a spot for Jesus. My question is, how about you? How about you? Is there room for Jesus at your Christmas? How about was there room for Jesus in Jerusalem? Look at me in Luke 23. Was there room for Jesus in Jerusalem? Luke 23, beginning in verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I've examined him before you and have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. For who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison? Pilate therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I'll therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. What are the background? Jesus has lived 33 years. He spent his life serving people the last three years in ministry. Loving on people. Healing people. Making deaf to hear. Blind to see. Lame to walk. Even raising the dead. He's done all these amazing miracles. He's also taught the people with compassion and love and care. He's even rebuked those who would stand against him. He was never afraid to rebuke those that stood against the truth. When he rebuked the Pharisees and he called them hypocrites. When you think about this, Jesus stood for the people. He loved the people. He cared for the people. He wanted to reach the people. And yet the very ones who had waved palm branches days earlier celebrating the Messiah coming into the city, they said, Hosanna to the King of Israel. Waving palm branches, celebrating him. We're at this very moment in this story crying out, crucify him. My, how it changed so quickly. Why did it change? You ready for this? Because it had to change. The whole purpose, the whole reason why we have the baby in the manger is so that the man could go to the cross. The whole purpose of Christmas is not about celebrating a baby. It's about celebrating the mission of the baby. It's about celebrating where he's going to. Have you ever thought the reason why you put up Christmas trees in your home? Is it a reminder of the tree that your Savior hung on? It's about a cross. You ever thought about the ornaments that decorate the tree or representation of Christ who decorated the greatest tree of all, the cross? You ever thought about the imagery behind what we do at Christmas time? Or is it just because of traditions and this is the reason why we do those things? You see, the whole purpose of the manger was for salvation, was to bring us the good news, the great message of God's hope for all of mankind. And at this moment, they turned on him, crucify him. In fact, the thing is, when you think about Pilate tried to save Jesus, did you know that? He actually tried a couple of different things so that Jesus wouldn't be crucified. 
He offered to them something. He offered to release one to them. That was the tradition. We can release one. Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? Now here's the thing we already know. Barabbas is a murderer. He's a thief. He is seditious. He's a traitor. He's a terrorist. He's caused all kinds of problems in the city. He was the worst of the worst. And yet they said, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Why? Because of their hatred for Jesus was so deep. We want Barabbas. But you need to understand this was all in God's plan. It was all in God's plan. He had to go to the cross. They turned on him so quickly. Not only that, but then did you know that the whole reason why Pilate had him beaten with the cat of nine tails was so that they could bring him out beaten up with that purple robe on his back, that crown that was mocking him on his head in hopes that they would say, that's enough, that's all you need to do to him. But instead he says, behold your king. And they look at him and they go, crucify him. That's not enough. Can I tell you something? Jesus was beaten greatly. But the beating that he took would not be enough for you and for me. The Bible says that without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There had to be a one true sacrifice. And from the beginning, even John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was referencing the Passover lamb. Did you know that? Behold the Lamb of God. Every Passover, they would take a lamb. They would have to kill the lamb. And that would represent God's passing over of their sins. Jesus would now become that one perfect Passover lamb that would pass over not only their sins, but you ready for this? Your sins and mine. He paid for them. He paid for them. The whole point of the manger is to bring us to this point for Jesus to fulfill prophecy. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is read Isaiah 53. The whole reason why he was born was to bear our griefs to bear our sorrows, to bear our transgressions. He was the perfect Lamb of God. Never failed, never sinned, never fell short. But we fell, we fall short, we sin. He took all of our sin upon his body and he died. You know what's really cool about it though? You see, Jesus in our sin died on the cross. But only one rose from the grave. He buried your sins. And he paid for your sins so that you might be forgiven. You see, the whole point of the manger was to lead us to the cross. Well, I asked third question this morning. Simply this, is there room for Jesus in your life? Look with me in John 1, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Many refused. Many would not believe. But this morning, I'm here to tell you, if you believe, you can become a son of God, a daughter of God. Is there room at your Christmas? I ask this question simply this. What is your focal point at Christmas? What is Christmas really all about for you? What kind of decorations do you have around your house? Now, I've got all kinds of decorations. I'm not going to lie. We, we hang stockings. We put ornaments on our tree. We have a Santa. But I wonder, is that really where the focal point is? Now, I'm not against Santa Claus. Not against him at all. 
But Santa didn't die for my sins. Santa didn't change the world. He was just a jolly old man that brought presents, right? Old Saint Nick. But he's not Jesus. And if I focus in and talk to my kids and make Christmas all about Santa, have I not lost the true meaning of Christmas? Have I not lost what God wants me to teach them about? You see, I'm not saying that you go away with those traditions. You can have those, but make Jesus the focal point. Make him the focal point. I, I, I saw one time, I saw a manger that had a Santa at it. That kind of blew my mind. That's quite interesting. It wasn't even born yet then. But the one thing that I loved about it was he had his hat off and he was bowing at the manger. At least he knew what Christmas was all about. So what is your Christmas all about? Is it about the gifts? Is it about the visits? Are you worried about family coming in? Or are you looking forward to them coming in so you can tell them about Jesus? Are you worried about whether you've got the right gift? You have the right gift. It's called the gospel if they don't know Jesus. You see, where's your focal point this Christmas? What do your kids and grandkids look forward to? Can I tell you a tradition that we have that we do it every year at our house? We will not open a gift until we read the story of the birth of Christ. That comes before anything else. You say, well, why is that? Because I want my kids to know the greatest gift was the gift that was given over 2,000 years ago. Greater than any package they can unwrap. So they need to know every year that we're going to focus on Jesus before we focus on anything else. How about you? Where's your focal point this Christmas? Is there room at your home? What's the focal point of your house? Have you ever thought about that? What does your house say about you? I mean, we decorate our houses so beautifully, don't we? But what is the focal point of our home? You know, in Jewish homes, they would put this box called a mezuzah. And inside of it had the Shema in it. And they would put it above their doorpost. In other words, their point was, is when you come into this house, you'll be blessed by the Lord. We want scripture to dominate this house. They would put it right there in the doorpost. I wonder how many of us, our focal point at home is about Jesus. How many of us make him the center of the room, the center of attention? What do you talk about the most at home? You see, our conversations guide a lot about who we are as well. If we've received him, we want to tell about him, don't we? I wonder, is there room at your home? Finally, I wonder, is there room in your heart? Is Jesus the focal point of your life? It's not about whether you've received him. Here's the thing. We can go through the motions in church and say we've received Jesus, can't we? I mean, you think about it. I, I could tell you my story. I could tell you so many other stories in here about how when we were kids, we made decisions to follow Christ, but it was just lip service. And I think sometimes that's true of so many people that it is merely lip service about us putting Jesus first in our lives. Now, please understand, there's a huge difference in putting Jesus first and the church first. Amen? Huge difference. Now, yeah, I want to be a part of church, and I want to serve in a church, and I want, to, and I want you to do the same. But it ought to be because of your love for Jesus, not of your obligation. It ought to be because of what he's done for you, not because you feel like you have to. Because if you serve with love as opposed to obligation, boy, we will see things change. 
Is there room in your heart for Jesus? The Bible says this, But as many as received him to them, he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you know him? Is there really room in your Christmas for Jesus? See, I think sometimes in our manger scenes, we can have all the pieces and remove the babe, because that's what we've done a lot of times. And there's so many other things we put in the manger. So many other things that we put first. Is that the reality of our Christmas? Is that really who we are? Or is Jesus the focal point of our Christmas? Is he the focal point of our lives? Is he the focal point of everything that we do? I just want to ask you today simply this. Is there room for Jesus in your life? I hope there is. Because I'm here to tell you, without him, Christmas is just another holiday. It will mean absolutely nothing if the focus isn't on him. Let's pray. Father.